This message is brought to you by 12 Stone Church. Please enjoy Pastor Kevin Myers as he delivers the second message, Truth Be Told, about relationships from the series, Truth Be Told. Please enjoy. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Lying is basically just acting, and I am a terrific actor. <laughs> you are a terrific actor. It's not a lie if you believe it. How old are you? 17. You complete me. If you're just tuning in, what you just heard was lie after lie after lie, which are dubious at best. Falsehoods told to the public, but um, everyone? Everywhere. The question is, what is the truth? Well, let's find out then, shall we? So welcome to 12 Stone across all the campuses and online. So glad you are here today for week two, because we're going to go after truth be told about relationships today. There are lies that we believe at the foundation of relationships, and those lies have a way of fracturing the foundation and costing us the best in life and in relationships. So today, we're going to get honest to God, we have candid conversations and, and if you will not only listen, but you will go live this, God will transform our relationships. We all want that. So let's get right at it. Grab your teaching notes. Cross campuses right here on the back of your bulletin. You have an outline. And right off the top, just like I did last week, I'm going to give you the teaching. I'm going to give you kind of the answers right off the top. Here we go. Three lies we tend to believe about relationships. Number one, other people should be more like me. Uh, we don't say it out loud, but we think it. And if they would just be more like me, talk about it later. Number two, forgiveness has to be what? Earned in relationships. Say it with me. We often think forgiveness has to be what, church? Earned in relationships. We'll unpack that. Number three, if our marriage takes hard work, we must not be right for each other. <laughs> in that case, there'd be no married people. Anyhow, let's move on. We'll come back. But, but, but actually, before I address it, let me, take, let me, go, let me go to the board. Let me, let me re remind us where we were last week, okay? You have a little section to draw. If you were here last week, uh, you remember drawing this. Feel free to draw your house again. Uh, if, if, if you weren't here, you want to get online and catch up. Because the house represents our life. It's like a metaphor. And Jesus in Matthew 7 was talking about this. And, and so in our life, you know, we... We, we want to have a good life, so we want to have a good house. I mean, if you get the metaphor, you, we, we put all our effort and energy into what we can see and what we feel and, and kind of the decoration of it all. And, and, and then Jesus said, and then storms come upon your life. And storms come to everyone's life. And when the storms come, those storms reveal, they expose the truth. And what they reveal is that it's the foundation, not the decoration that gives you a stronger life. That's where we left off last week. And we talked about the fact that, therefore, we live in a culture who is so caught up in feelings that that's how they make decisions. And God says, no, at the foundation of your life has to be truth. See, we're at risk in a world where, where feelings have a way of uh, kind of becoming truth. 
And, and therefore, the truth surrenders to feelings. And God said, that can never be at the foundation. That'll fracture your foundation. You end up with all sorts of lies. So really, the feelings need to surrender to truth. And so I have a question for you today. I want to kind of add to this conversation. So where do you start? When you want to find the truth, where do you start? Where, where, where's, where's the start line? Where's the beginning? And here's what I want you to get this thought. If you have a, if you have a, a false start line, you're going to have a false conclusion. Listen, if you have a false start, you're going to have a false conclusion. Write it down. I, just want, I want you to get this in your head. This is a really important thought to add. In fact, let me just tell you a little story happening in process. Jaden, my number four of the kids, uh, turned 15 this summer and got his learner's permit. Makes every parent nervous. It's just really uncomfortable. And, and he's all excited because this year he's going to be driving. He is. And, 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 and then next year, next summer, he gets his driver's license and, and wants to get a car. And so he's, he's been working on saving toward a car. Every family does the car thing different. Here's how our family does it. Whatever the kids earn, put in the bank, will match. And that determines what, what, what kind of car you get. So uh, I want to have a brief conversation about it. Jaden, I usually talk about him. He's here and coming on the stage. So Jaden, get up here. Welcome him. You actually get to meet him after all these times of talking about him. So everybody say, hey, Jaden. Hey, buddy. All right. Uh, good fun. You've been working on uh, this car thing for the last 12, 18 months, putting money in the bank. Uh, uh, why don't you catch us up? Uh, how, much, how much money so far do you have uh, in the bank? $2,250. Woo! Now that's fantastic, man. Well done. Okay, you've been working hard. Uh, odd jobs here and there. You've been working this summer, so that's, that's cool. Uh, how much are you trying to get uh, toward the car? I need $3,000. $3,000. So you're close. You're like under $1,000, like $750 away. That's fantastic. You got the year to go, go get that. Uh, and what car, what car do you have in mind? Tell us about that, how you came to the $3,000. My mom's Honda Accord. Yes. <laughs> Take mom's trustworthy car. Uh, what was the deal uh, you guys have made? She'll give it to me for 6000 so if you match my 3000 then I can buy it. Boom. You're a man with a car. Great freedom. Terrifies us all. Really, it does. It does. So, so you're on your way. You're doing great. And actually, we were talking about it, and you're like, man, you got a fair amount of cash on you for, for a kid. I mean, you know, I know you're a teenager. And, uh, and I told you, bring some cash uh, along. Did you bring any money? Yeah, What'd you I got? brought $100. Ooh, hun. Uh, you know, <laughs> you got a lot of money. Why don't, why don't you give that to dad so mom and dad can go on some more date nights? Wouldn't that be a great use of, of 100 bucks? Yeah. Do I have to? Uh, yeah, I think you do. So just fork it over. Thank you very much. Isn't this a great day already? Thank you, son. Hey, so proud of you. You're doing good. Keep working at it. You'll get your 3,000. Uh, thank you so much for telling your little story. This is, this is good for dad. You know what? I like it better that way. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I don't believe I've ever preached and got 100 bucks while I was preaching. That's it. Feel free to throw them um, if, if you think about it. Now, when you leave here uh, and somebody says, hey, tell me what's going on with Jaden. I heard PK, Pastor Kevin had him on stage for a while. And what he, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can tell you the story. Jaden's doing, uh, Jaden's saving money, doing good toward a car. And, and here's what he's going to go get. And, and you know, though, his dad is, is not 
maybe as generous as I thought he might ought to be. I mean, instead of helping his son, he kind of took 100 bucks from him. That doesn't seem very helpful or generous or kind. I thought he might be a little, do a little better than that. And if you told that story, that would be what we call a false conclusion. <laughs> a, a false what? Conclusion. Because that's not true. See, you would be starting the story from on stage. And that's part two. That's not where the story starts. The story started at home, part one this week. And if you start where the story starts, you get a proper conclusion. See, what really happened is, I said, hey, Jaden, uh, I got to do something this weekend in my teaching, and I'd like your help. If you'll show up and go live on stage with me every time I teach, five times, I'll give you 25 bucks a service. I'll give you 125 bucks for doing that. And I whipped out 125 bucks, and he said, yes, sir, thank you very much. I will do that. <laughs> That's a good sum of money. He said, yes, it is. It's the most money you'll ever make for a few minutes. And I said, by the way, I want you to do something else for me. What's that? I said, here's another hundred, which is mine. I'd like you to put it in your pocket. And I want you to bring some cash, son. I don't care how much you bring, but at least bring a hundred. So that when I asked Jaden for the hundred, it was already mine. <laughs> you get it? See, if you go to the start of the story, you discover that dad has actually been quite generous. <laughs> Ridiculously generous, to be honest. <laughs> And that 100 bucks was already mine. Now listen very carefully. If you have a false start, you'll get a false conclusion. And a whole bunch of people are starting stories at the wrong place. See, when you're trying to find truth, it matters where you start. And in this culture, we tend to start with self. Start with who? Self. See, when we're trying to find truth, we start with ourselves. And that is the mark of being an unbeliever. That's how you know somebody is an unbeliever. They're not really a follower of, uh, uh, of Christ. Because if you're a follower of Christ, you start with God. You start with who? God. That's the mark of a believer. When you're in search for truth, you say, well, if I want to have the truth, I got to start with God so that the truth is the foundation of my life. And I listen very carefully. Listen. Particularly, you're, you're the emerging generation, you who are middle school, high school, college, 20-somethings, millennials. You, you live in a world where this has been transferred into your faith. In fact, we're all battling with this. We all have a tendency to start with self, and you see it in our culture. See, where, where do you start when you answer the question of human beginnings? If you start with self, you're going to start with, with, with well... You're going to start with mankind and monkeys because you start with self. But you haven't even started where it began. If you're going to start where it began, you've got to go before there was life, before there was matter. We keep answering questions without going to the start of the story. Like you, you can't start with stuff. You've got to start before there was. Where do you settle truth? The follower of Christ, the truth, the foundation is in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. God who has always existed put it in play. Now you don't have to believe that, but your belief doesn't change what's true. You can believe in God and that doesn't make him exist and you can dismiss God and that doesn't make him go away. Where do you start? 
Listen, there is a world of difference between an unbeliever and a believer. And we may live in the same world, but we don't have the same truth. And where you start matters. Where do you start to answer the question, what is marriage? Where do you start to answer the question about racism that's dividing this country? Where do you start to answer the question about gender confusion? See, when you start with self, if you have a false start, you'll have a false conclusion. It matters where you start the story. And if you're a follower of Christ, you're working to live by the foundation of truth so that in the storms of life, you endure. Not only that, you do better. You not only survive, you thrive. And that's true in relationships. So let's get to the foundation of what is true for building healthy, thriving relationships. Take your Bibles, turn to Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, we're on page 11, 1,184, 1184. If you're on a mobile device, it's Colossians chapter 3, we'll start with verse 1. And remember, there's two different groups being talked about. There's the group that starts with self, and maybe you're in that group. So be it. Now listen in. But this is writing to believers who start with God. And by the way, you can't say, I'm a follower of Christ and start with self, doesn't work. It fractures your foundation. In fact, this is foundational right here, verse one. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Christ is your life. That's foundational. We were created by God in the image of God. We fell due to sin. We chose to sin. All of us have sinned. We fall short of God's glory. We deserve death. Jesus died and covered our sin debt. We're forgiven by him, restored to God. We have the promise of eternal life. And so Christ is in us. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. We are under his roof. You go back to that little drawing of the house. We are under his roof. Christ is in us and we are on his foundation. That is distinctly who we are. And therefore we build a foundation based on truth. And that foundation is a putting off and a putting on, putting off lies and putting on truth. Look at the next verse. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Verse 7, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. See, you used to begin with self. You used to live like unbelievers, but no longer. Verse 8, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. See, this is all relational. Verse 9, do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Look at how it transforms relationships. Even verse 11, here, there, here, that is in the church, under Christ, together, under his roof, in Christ, on his foundation. Here, verse 11, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. See, we are in process of putting off the lies and putting on the truth as the foundation of our life. We don't want a flawed foundation or in the storms of life it'll fall apart, including our relationships and the most important ones. And by the way, that affects our relationships in the church. And verse 11 is talking about things like racism. 
See, we might not be able to solve it in the country, but Jesus has already solved it in the church. And in the church, there is no division. We are all one. The ground is level. No matter your ethnicity or socioeconomic condition in life, when you come to Christ, you are part of the family of God. We are brothers and sisters. And listen, we should be able and we are capable of living a unity that the rest of the world should be envious of. Again, we may not be able to solve in the country, but it's already been solved in the church. And we're supposed to live this out like nobody else on earth. That's who we are. We don't have to solve it. It's already been solved. By the way, on August 25th, there's a gathering of many people from various churches around Atlanta are going to happen at, at Stone Mountain Park. I'm, I'm telling you this for one specific reason. Many of us believe that part of the revival God wants to bring to the territory and our hearts are leaning toward that is, is really addressing a kind of dead religion and things like racism. And on that particular day, there's going to be a group of senior pastors, two, three hundred senior pastors who go to the top of Stone Mountain and who ask for God to help us live out verse 11. We don't have to make unity happen. God's already done it. We just have to live in it. And we're going to say, dear God, forgive those ahead of us or who, or who behind us prayed and lived in such a way as to reinforce from the church things like Ku Klux Klan and the like. God, would you forgive the church and release us from the weight of that kind of sin? And God, would you restore the church to verse 11 so we can be the people we were created to be? We're going to pray with a group of next generation leaders in that process. Now, listen, I know what's going to happen. I know the media is going to show up and, and they're going to twist it for all sorts of political reasons. That's not why I'm there. That'll be their agenda. My agenda is simply this. God made the church live out verse 11. That's who we are in unity. And then he goes on. Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, <laughs> holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves. Are you ready? This is how you do relationships. These verses, the next couple verses, are the answer to the three lies I've already read. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You want to know how you're supposed to do relationships with other people? That's how you do it, right there. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That's not hard enough. Look at verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. And if that's not clear how to forgive, he goes on. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love. Put on what? Love. Which binds them all together in perfect unity. Oh my, that's the truth. And we have to repair the lies in our foundation in order to build on the truth. So let's do that. Not just talk about it. Not just learn it, but live it. So let's talk about number one, the lies we tend to believe. Number one, other people should be more like me. And that's a lie. That's a what, everybody? Couldn't hear you. That's a what? Well, sure it is. Now, we don't say it out loud. Y'all should be just like me. But we just look around at the world. Mm. If y'all were more like me. Honey, if you were more like me in our marriage, better marriage. If the whole family were more like me, I look at the church, oh. I mean, y'all are okay, but if you were more like me, you get to work, oh. y'all need to be more like me. Out on the road traffic, need I say more? 
Now, we're not so bold as to say it, but that's what we think. I think, really? Really, the world's going to be built around you? Really, that, your happiness and your, your, you're the center. Uh, Chris Thurman, who authored the, the book, The Lies We Believe, which has been really a helpful inspiration to some of these uh, thoughts, <laughs> he, he wrote, I once had a teenage client who was quite obsessive about things having to go a certain way in order for him to have a good day. So I asked him to write down the list of what would have to happen for him to have a good day. And his incredible detailed list included the following. This wasn't the limit, this is an example. He wrote, wake up to my favorite music playing on the clock radio, wear certain clothes and tennis shoes, don't have to eat anything I don't want to eat for breakfast, get to sit in the back of the school bus, all my friends are nice to me all day long. Get to go skateboarding at the end of the day. No homework. Get to watch my favorite TV shows all evening. Go to bed when I want to. Parents, don't bug me about doing chores or keeping my room clean. Chris writes, the list was so long and detailed that it was literally impossible for things to ever happen the way he wanted, so he never had a good day. Some of us live like this. Now listen, nobody's making the list literally like that, but we have a list in our head, and we think, I'll have a good day if everybody's about me. They should just be more like me. Really? Look around. Right now, just look around. Look around your campus. Look around. Look around. I want you to notice something. It's more than you. I know. But you can't possibly be the center of the universe. I, I know. I know. You're, well, I know I'm not the center, but I should be close. And then let me just look around again. Look around, look around, look around. Okay, everybody's in the image of God, but have you noticed they're all uniquely different? How could it possibly be if we're all more like you? Let's just confirm our differences. You ready? Here we go. Let's just do a little differences. Raise your hand on this. How many of you are extroverts? Okay, you're extroverts. You like, you're a little more outgoing, more to the people, more you get energy being with people. Hands up, hands up, hands up. Look around the campuses. Look around. Just look around. See who they are. How many of you are more introvert? You're like, yeah, people drain me. I just, I prefer to be alone. I just, yeah. Okay. How many of you hate to raise your hand? When I do this, you just hate to raise your hand. And look at that. You still are. Let's talk, let, let's, let, 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 let's talk about pets. Dog people, cat people, no pet people. You ready? Who are the dog people? Hands up. So proud of themselves. Who are the cat people? Pray for them. Just pray for them. You're going to be in heaven alone. I don't care what you say. No, I'm just, that's, never mind. That's, that's not kind. How, how many are the no pets people? A group unto themselves. And you're looking at the no pets people and you're like, that's not godly. God made those creatures. What is wrong with you? People are different. You're predominantly, pick one, house person, car person, clothes person. Which one would you most be? No, you can't say, oh, three. Okay, ready? House people. You're like, oh, I'm into the house thing. Car people. Clothes people. Have you noticed we're different? How many people are like, get out of the left lane, I need to pass you people. <laughs> and who are the people who are cruising in the left lane? Do not raise your hand. No, do, we, don't, we don't need division in the church. Here's my point. Here's my point. Ready? We get annoyed by each other, right? How many people just raise their hands and say, I have been annoyed by somebody else. I want to see hands up. I've ever been annoyed by somebody else. Okay. 
hands up, I've ever annoyed somebody. And the same hands better go back up. And by the way, you with your hands down on the ever annoyed, you're delusional. You just annoyed me. Anyhow, we're, we're all different. And when you get this idea that if the world were just more like me, it'd be a better place, you, you are living out a lie. You, you got to break that. See, because we can all be annoyed by each other. It's really what, <laughs> uh, Josh, our oldest, when he was young, he's probably four years old at the time, I don't know, give or take, and Julissa was 17 months behind him, and Julissa's the bubbly, always excited, kind of, always just, oh, Josh, this is awesome. And she's just, she's just over, and he was, he's the introvertish, reserved, not talk a lot, quiet, and he would just stare at her. <laughs> Finally, one day, it's one of our favorite families, he just looked up at us. Why does she have to be like that? <laughs> you know what he was really saying? She should be more like me. Why? Why can't she be? And in the midst of that, the Holy Spirit speaks to the church and he says in Colossians 3, 13, bear with each other. What does he say? Bear with each other. Again, what did he say? Bear with each other. In the original language, the Greek, here's what it literally means, to endure something unpleasant or difficult. That's what other people are to us. Often unpleasant and difficult even in your family and even in your church family. And we're supposed to live out, bear with one another. And, 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 you don't just bear with them like, oh. You're killing me. No, you do it with compassion, gentleness, patience, humility. That would be supernatural. Lutheran theologian from the mid-1600s gave this quote. I think it's powerful. Write it down. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. What he's saying is that you have buckets in life, and, and you, and you got to know what's in the bucket, and you got to be able to live out of the bucket. And, and, and I, the buckets are different sizes, I think. I want you to pay attention. I, I, in essentials, there are some things in life that are essential, like Colossians chapter 3, the first four verses. We're, we're God's creation. Christ is the foundation, the truth. We've sinned, and Jesus is our only redemption. And he's the only way to the Father. We are in Christ, under his roof, and on the truth. And the whole of Scripture. And the verses we read from verses 5 to 11, what we put off and what we put on, that, that's essential. See, there are principles and truths that are essential to life. And in that, we need to be unified as a church. But then there's a bucket next to it. And that bucket's bigger. And that's the non-essentials. This is the stuff where we're different. This is the stuff where, where God has, has not drawn a line. And listen, if God hasn't drawn a line, then we don't draw a line. I grew up in a church that, that was pews and, and hymnals. And, and, and that's not essential. <laughs> you, you, you can have theater chairs and, and choruses, Okay. It's just, it's just what is essential and what is non-essential. And where God hasn't drawn a, 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 an exact line, we don't draw this. And people are going to be different, think different, do different. You've got to live in the body of Christ. You've got to live in your own family and the church family. And we've got to be unified together out of the things that need to be essential. But then the non-essentials, and it's going to be different, it's going to annoy you. <laughs> but, but, but how do you manage that? 
with love. With what? All things, in all things charity, in all things love. And this pours over and this covers. Now I'll tell you what's difficult. This should be the biggest bucket. And, and, and there's some confusion. Because many times people try to take essential things and throw them in the non-essential and that's not true and that breaks down the church. And people try and take non-essential things and throw it in the essential. Like, like in the church growing up, for me, they took non-essential things. Like if you have a TV, well, you're just going to hell. I mean, that was back in the 60s. So, you know, you got you to gotta go back in time and figure it out. And they, they, I, I used to pray for people if I ever saw somebody drink a beer or, or smoke a cigarette. Oh, they're going to hell. Well, that's not true. That's not in scripture that way. Drunkenness, yes, that's a sin. But the, taking a drink or smoke a cigarette, that's not. There's principles there, but you, you can't move stuff like that. Now, I want to talk to students, okay? I already had my son up here. Middle school, high school, listen. Even the younger generation, college, you under 30, you live in a culture, listen carefully, who has taken the word love, of which God is the author, and they've redefined it. And you are at risk of joining the culture and believing that love covers all things. Keep listening. And this is what love means. Love means you take the essential bucket and you put it in the non-essential bucket because love means there is nothing that's absolute and anybody can live any way they want because everything is non-essential. And if you really love people, to accept people means that you accept there is no essentials. Everything is non-essential. Listen very carefully. That's not love. That's a lie. I'm not getting a lot of feedback right now. This is one of the most difficult things happening in the American culture, and it's coming in the church. And you are taking a worldly definition of manipulative love and applying it to Scripture and saying that if we really loved, there would be no essentials. And that's not love, that's a lie. If you really love somebody, you don't build yourself, your life on lies. Your life has to be built on the truth. And the truth has essentials. And this is a complicated journey that God will make uncomplicated and it needs to be managed with love. Are we on the same page? Yeah. See, we don't need people, listen, we don't need people to be more like us. We all need to be more like Jesus. And we gotta get in God's word to figure that out. Let's move on, number two. Forgiveness has to be earned in relationships. And that's a lie. That's a what? You see, in chapter 3, verse 13, he said, and forgive one another if anyone has a grievance against you. If you have a grievance against anyone. Now, forgive literally in the Greek language here means to cancel or pardon, which means they did nothing to earn it. You pardon them. You canceled their debt. They didn't earn it. And if you're not clear what that means, then he applies it just as Jesus forgave you. Now, I'm going to be honest with you on this. This one is difficult. I find this difficult. I mean, when somebody wrongs me, takes advantage, screws me, lies, cheats, steals, particularly when they're close to me, they just, oh. Man, I'm like, I ain't going to forgive you. You earn that back. Man, I'm going to hold you in contempt. But then when it comes to me and Jesus, I'm like, oh, forgive me. 
That, that's why he's putting the tension right there. I mean, I love the forgiveness. Of, don't you love the forgiveness of God? Yeah, I'll just, I love the forgiveness of God. I love that God forgives freely. I just don't like to freely forgive. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Anyone at all? Anyone at all? And see, so it makes me go back and have to deal with the wrestling. That if I'm really walking with Jesus, I don't start with me. I start with God and I start with the truth. And the truth is, listen, those who are freely forgiven, freely forgive. Write it down. Those who are freely forgiven, freely forgive. Those who are freely forgiven, freely forgive. And I know a lot of us are carrying woundedness and bitterness. And God's trying to help you break from that. He's trying to free you from the prison of resentment and anger and bitterness and revenge. And that only hurts you. Listen, when you forgive someone, the first person you free up is yourself, not them. This is challenging. Maybe you, maybe you have an unforgiving spirit right now. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's in friendships. I don't know. Maybe it's with the church in general. I'm telling you, God is trying to free you from a wounded spirit because it undoes you. I've had to navigate this in my life on many occasions, and so do you. And I'm not saying this is easy. I'm just telling you the way I, I've worked it through is that instead of rehearse and nurse what they've done, I rehearse what I've done to God in order to get myself back in a place where I realize what it cost him to forgive me. And that's how I kind of, he tenderizes my spirit so I can work at forgiving others. To release bitterness. It doesn't always release sadness. And I want to add something. I don't have time for this, but if I did, I would teach this. I don't believe people earn forgiveness. I do believe they earn trust. I, I believe that's different. When you break trust, there is an earning back. But forgiveness, I'll release the condemnation, the vengeful spirit, the anger, the contempt. This is a weighty one. Maybe there's someone you need to forgive. And you don't need to just hear what I'm saying. You need to put this in practice. Not just learn it, live it. Who do you need to forgive? See, a lot of our foundations are fractured because we have unforgiving spirits. And we end up looking no better than the rest of the world. No wonder the world isn't impressed with the church. We should be forgiving like nobody else so we can live like nobody else. Third, if our marriage takes hard work, we must not be right for each other. If that's true, nobody would be married. That's a lie. That's a what? Marriage is hard work. Why? Because remember we've just talked about Because you married somebody different than you. Hello. And because they're going to need forgiveness, Right? You married somebody different than you and you're going to need forgiveness. And by the way, that's true. In marriage, that's true. In family, that's true all the way around. And, and it's just entertaining to me. I'm just curious how so many people are single who want to date and then who date who want to get married or live together, which God has a better decision option for you than that. So they want to get married. And then when they get married, I'm surprised and it's curious, isn't it, that all the people who want to get married, so many married people want to be single. <laughs> and and, and then and, uh, so many divorces. And then so many divorced people who want to get married again. It's almost like we don't get it. This is like, this is going to be hard work. And we know we were created for a relationship, but we can't get there without the hard work. I mean, when Marsha and I were dating for the two years we dated, we discovered all the things we loved about each other and got married. Then we discovered all the things we didn't love about each other. That was the next three years. And man, that was horrific. I really didn't know if we were going to make it. I, you've heard me tell stories. I mean, it was just rough. And it's not like that was the only rough time. We've had rough into five and 10 years. I mean, it's just rough stuff. By the way, this past week, we celebrated our wedding anniversary. Hang on, hang on. How many years? Check out this picture. If you can count the roses, you can figure out how many years. 
And the florist said to me, I don't think we can put that many roses in one vase. 36 roses, 36 years married this past week. And people ask, yes, thank you, it's awesome. And people ask, now how do you remain married for 36 years, have all the problems you guys have had, and and still remain best friends and lovers and growing together? And so I'm going to give you a principle, and I'm going to tell you, do it with a story. Marsha loves to run, which is, I don't get it, I hate running. Uh, Marsha loves to run, I'm happy for her, it makes her fit and fine. However, that's not the point. It might be, but that's not the point I'm going for right now. Let me get back on topic. And so, and so Marsha loves to run. And so I was in a conversation um, with a friend who's going to do the New York Marathon this past spring. He's going to do it this coming November. And I'm like, oh, fantastic. I said, someday I'll bet you Marsha went on to do it. He said, why don't you do it this year? He said, I haven't, there's an opening. I said, no way. Oh, yeah. So I talked to Marsha. I'd love to. I said, great, we'll adjust. Now, by the way, this is a real adjustment because that's going to, you know, change my weekend. I, 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 what I'm going to have to do to make that weekend work to be in New York and the cost and everything goes with, but I love my wife. I don't love running. I love my wife, but I'm happy for her. Go run. God bless you. And I'll support you. But then we get into the summer and I realize, you know what? This is a lot of training time. I've watched her do it before. And you know what I decided? I'm, I'm just going to start running with her. I hate running, but I'm going to start running. Now, I call it running. Don't get impressed yet. <laughs> I, I, I call it running. It's really slow man jog. And I hate it. But I love my wife. So keep listening. We used to go on all sorts of walks together. We don't have time for that. So now we run. King on, you ready? So I had to speed up. Say it with me. I had to what? Speed up. I've run about 150 miles this summer, and I had to speed up because I can't do a walk. If I want to be with her, I have to speed up. Keep listening. She, however, runs faster and further than I do. So she has to slow down. She has to what? Slow down. Now, I committed to her. I'm only going to be your warm-up band. I'm only doing a 5K with you. And then when we hit 5K, I'm out. God bless you. Go do your next 5, 10, 15K. I don't care. I don't even understand. I don't care. God bless you. (laughs) But you know what's broken a lot of our marriages? We're living together independently. And marriage works when one slows down and the other speeds up. So you can do life together. And when we do that, what we're really doing is solving things like the three buckets. See, through our marriage, and particularly early on in the first five years, ten years, you've got to figure out what is the essentials. And what are the non-essentials? Have you noticed that a whole bunch of marriage is arguing over non-essential, stupid stuff? How many can own it? Just like that, like marriage, not enough hands. I'll do it again. How many know that that's a good bit of what goes on in marriage? Listen, in our early part of our marriage, we got to figure out what is essential, what is non-essential, and how to live with love, all things love. But there are some essentials, and Marsh and I have to be unified. Those unified things have to be things like the first four verses of Colossians chapter 3, unified in Christ. But then listen, uniquely unified. See, like our marriage is unique, so there are things that are essential to our marriage. For example, we're, we're a couple who does ministry together. And, and one of the things we had to address is, listen, listen, no fighting on the weekend. I kid you not. Several years into marriage, we're like, okay, we're done. That's it. No more fighting on the weekend. 
You're like, well, I don't get it. Let me explain. See, I have to preach every weekend. And then we have a fight. Satan seemed to show up every Saturday, and I had to carry it with me every Sunday, and then she'd be sitting there. I might not do that at the service she's in, but. And I'm standing there preaching, and I'm ticked off. And I'm teaching everybody, we got to love each other. Go build your marriage. God bless you. I don't like that woman, though, right there. I'll tell you what. I'm like, you know what? We're both called to ministry. This, I'm done. I'm out of ministry. Either we quit fighting on the weekends or this thing goes ugly. We need, listen, we made an essential decision probably 20 years ago. We don't fight anymore on the weekends. You're like, you can't do that. Yes, you can. Because love covers. We can hold it. Listen, we've never had any notable disagreement, argument, skirmish, or fight, or fair fight in 20 years of weekends. You know why? Listen, it's not impressive. Listen, it's because we're here to serve you. Now, Mondays, <laughs> let's just leave that right there. And then there's non-essentials, which means we're going to be different. We got to know where it's okay to be different. Like, you're going to be different, I'm going to be different. It's okay. Non-essential, for example, is making a bed. I don't understand it. When you get up in the morning, you slept in it. It's fantastic. It's all a mess. Leave it. You're coming back in the evening. <laughs> Nobody's going to see it. I don't understand making the bed. It's never made any sense. It's a non-essential to me. It matters to her. I still don't understand it. I mean, why would you make it, put all the pillows we couldn't even use? What's the point? You never know when you need the bed undone and available. I don't know. I just, it doesn't make any sense. But you know what? I love my wife, and so I help her make the bed on many occasions. Listen, quick, listen, church. <laughs> I'm not helping. <laughs> Quit fighting over stupid stuff. That's what love does. Let you, if, if I could teach right now how to, how, to, how to manage the buckets. In fact, if you're young, get this stuff early. All right, I got it. We're done. I got it. You know what? It all gets wrapped up with, with chapter 3, verse 14. So hear how he wraps this thought. And over all these virtues, put on love. Put on what? Love which binds them all together in perfect unity. God, help us love like you love. We're done. What are, the, what, are, what are the repairs you need to make in your foundation? Where are lies you believe about relationship? Where is it breaking down? See, as I turn the service over to the campus, pastors, we want to pray over you. We want to ask that the Spirit of God would do a significant work in the foundation of your life and as a result transform your relationships. So right here and now, would you bow your heads with me? Can I pray with you? Can we have a moment with God? Just an honest, attentive moment with the living God. So bow your heads, Lord. There's some among us who don't even believe that you are God. We were created by you. We're spiritually unresolved. I'm so glad they're among us. Encourage them as they wrestle through questions of faith. There are others of us, God, who are followers of you. And we're saying, God, I want my life built on truth. I need to start with you. And some of us right now, the, the beginning of this prayer is, God, I gotta repair my foundation. I start with self instead of start with you. I call myself a follower, but I keep starting with self instead of starting with you to get the truth. God, would you help me? Would you repair my foundation? And maybe that's your prayer right now. 
And while we're praying, let me move through some things. God, some of us are stuck on ourselves, and we think the world should be more like us and we're bringing that into our friendships and we're bringing that into our relationships and we're constantly annoyed by the people around us when in fact we're quite selfish. I'm not gonna have us raise hands on who that is because it could be all of us. God, repair our foundation. Some of us might be lifting up prayers. God, would you fix that in me? Would you make me more aware? Would you make me more selfless that I might be compassionate and humble and patient and bear with others. Some of us, God, have an unforgiving spirit, and right now we know, maybe it's with our spouse, maybe it's with our family, maybe it's with the the church in general, maybe it's with some friendships, maybe it's something in our past. In fact, with our heads bowed, this isn't for anyone looking around. If you know right now, you you gotta ask God to help you repair something in your foundation, an unforgiving spirit somewhere and you need God to help you with it, just raise your hand before him. Just right now, just across this place. God, hands are going up all over, and and they're going to, God, because we need some help. We're carrying stuff, and it's heavy. We can't make light of this. And we're so grateful you forgive us. Would you help us forgive others? Some of us have been working through this for weeks or months. Some of us got years under our belt of, I can't let it go, and I I, I can't get over it, and I don't don't know how to release it. God, God, would you help us? to be free from rehearsing and nursing those? And would you release us from from owning this wounded spirit that seems to define us? And God, would you teach us how to be freed up? And would you teach us, God, that it doesn't mean what they did is okay? But we gotta let it go. And we gotta forgive as freely as you forgave us. God, I pray that you would move on us right now and there would be a healing that even begins and goes deeper today than ever before. And this would be the beginning of releasing, maybe the end of releasing. Others of us, God, know that our marriage has some faulty foundations and we're not doing the hard work or maybe we need to do the work a little harder. Maybe we need to love a little better. Maybe, maybe we need to figure out the buckets and love needs to cover over our marriage. Maybe we need to quit fighting about stupid stuff. Maybe we need a more forgiving spirit. If you know you need to help, God's help to repair a little something in your marriage, he just hands up. Your spouse doesn't need to look. It's just you and God. Just God, marriage is across here saying, God, would you heal this in my marriage and would you help me grow through this and would you restore us and would you strengthen us and would you mature us and would you, would you reform us from the foundation up. God, you're the author of relationships. It's a beautiful thing. But we need help. Would you do a deep work among us that as we walk from this place, we would go live in relationship like no other because it's built on your truth. And may we know your transforming power in Christ's name we pray and everyone agreed saying, amen. May he be that kind to us.